Welcome to Oncopharm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Oncopharm, Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Uh, today, uh, we're going to talk about a foundational drug uh, in oncology. We tend to, on this podcast, go back and forth between landmark clinical trials, uh, updates in, in new, uh, what's been published, what's new, what's uh, What's, what's the hot topic of the, the, the week or the month in oncology pharmacy? We also talk about foundational uh, topics, either drugs or bread and butter supportive care topics. So today we're going to talk about ifosfamide, uh, also known as uh, ifos is typically what I call it, and the brand name Ifex here in the States. Uh, so you know the history behind this is, is maybe not as interesting. There's no fancy uh, natural source for ifosfamide. So this goes back to... Um, a German pharmaceutical company named Asta uh, Verki, I think, W-E-R-K-E. I think it, you pronounce it Asta Verki. Maybe, who knows? Um, anyway, so this, uh, this was developed by the same company that developed cyclophosphamide. And this was part of a campaign they had uh, to develop uh, essentially anti-cancer agents that were both pro-drugs and stable, uh, unlike, say, nitrosuria or nitrogen mustard. Um, to the point that it was non-toxic until it entered the body and then was bioactivated, which is, of course, what cyclophosphamide did. And we've already done cyclophosphamide on that podcast. We mentioned a little bit on that pod some of the differences versus IFOS, but IFOS is, is important enough. It gets its own pod. Um, so these, uh, these chemists and these researchers in Germany, uh, going back to the, the 30s, somebody noticed that there's an enzyme called phosphoamidase that was overexpressed in solid tumors. So uh, they were hunting for drugs that would be substrates of this phosphoamidase that would be essentially inert until it entered the tumor cell and then was bioactivated into the alkylating agent. Uh, And we had cyclophosphamide that did that. And then later on, uh, they were able to develop iphosphamide in a very similar manner. The first PubMed mention I can find of ifosmide is in 1971 and is uh, uh, seen in human trials in the mid-70s and it initially got, or eventually got FDA approval here in the United States in 1988. It is, of course, mechanistically an alkylating agent, forms DNA crosslinks that, um, that inhibits DNA replication and synthesis as well as protein synthesis, so it is cell cycle nonspecific. Um, it does um, require that bioactivation by P450 enzymes in the liver. Uh, if you ever want to teach about ifosfamide uh, for any purposes, if you're developing slides, uh, or if you are uh, just wanting to learn more about this, I want a visual graphic to go along with this. Uh, Google ifosfamide PharmGKB, which stands for Pharmacogenomics Knowledge Base, which I think is based out of Stanford, and they have great uh, images on uh, ifosmide as well as cyclophosmide and many other oncology drugs, but ifosmide's pharmacokinetic pathways as well as pharmacodynamic pathways, which are really enlightening and illustrate, um, you know, the drug the drug pathways and how it how it is activated and how it is metabolized and detoxified. Now, of course, ifosmide and cyclophosmide they sound the same, so you know they got to look pretty similar, and of course, structurally they are. Um, there are notable differences, though, between ifosmide and cyclophosmide. Ifosmide uh, is slower to be activated to the, uh, the phosphoramide mustard, which is the active moiety. And that activation is fourfold slower than cyclophosmide. And in the, uh, the early uh, studies, uh, they identified that a single dose of ifosmide was more toxic and less effective compared to a single dose of cyclophosmide. And a single dose of ifosmide also produced 
uh, more uh, of the toxic metabolites, which is a key thing that we will talk about. It does have ifosfamide a, a smaller volume distribution compared to ifosfamide or compared to cyclophosphamide, and that is one of the reasons that we think it requires multiple dosing to increase the efficacy uh, to, be, to be near what we would get with cyclophosphamide. Uh, and because of that slower activation and that we need multiple doses, we end up creating a lot more of the toxic metabolites uh, per dose of ifosfamide versus dose of cyclophosphamide. So there's more acrolein. Uh, which of course causes the hemorrhagic cystitis. Uh, there's more 2-chloroacetaldehyde, which is the metabolite that causes neurotoxicity. Um, and if you just think about it very simply, I mentioned that uh, ifosfamide activation is fourfold slower than cyclophosphamide activation. So if you take a typical dose of cyclophosphamide, say 750 milligrams per meter squared, and multiply it by four, you're getting somewhere in the three to four gram per meter square ballpark, and that is a typically a standard dose of ifosfamide. It is, you give a fourfold to fivefold higher dose because you need more ifosfamide to have the same anti-cancer activity uh, per, per milligram or per unit of cyclophosphamide. So that explains why we see the different toxicity profiles between ifosfamide and cyclophosphamide and why we see different doses of these drugs and, and in fact, um, different dosing regimens for these agents. Ifosmide is uh, used in quite a bit of malignancies, used in lymphomas, uh, in the ICE regimen or the RICE regimen if you're adding rituximab, if it's a CD20 expressing lymphoma like a B-cell lymphoma. Uh, the dose in that uh, regimen at ICE is 5 grams per meter squared IV. Now that's given over 24 hours. That's not necessarily for any, uh, any efficacy reason as it is cell cycle nonspecific. It's probably more for a toxicity reason so you don't overload the kidneys with acrolein. Uh, a typical dose of ifosfamide can be given over even 30 minutes. Now, many regimens uh, recommend to give it over, over say, three hours or something like that. Uh, it's also used for sarcomas, a very active drug in sarcomas where we don't have a lot of chemotherapy agents that are active as part of the AIM regimen. So A for adriamycin, I, ifosfamide, and M for mesna. If you're giving ifosfamide, you are always giving mesna. This is a key difference if you're a novice learner, if you're learning about oncology for the first time. One difference you got to know between ifosfamide and cyclophosphamide. Ifosfamide always requires mesna co-administration, where cyclophosphamide at typical doses usually does not require mesna administration. So in the AIM regimen, you're giving either 1.5, 1.8, 2, or 3 grams per meter squared per day over two to five days typically. And we do know that ifosfamide tends to require multiple daily uh, administrations uh, to increase its efficacy. And again, that goes back to probably its lower volume distribution compared to cyclophosphamide. So your common, uh, this is not the way it is with ICE, which is just one day of ifosfamide, but in AIM and many other uh, sarcoma regimens, for example, uh, the ifosfamide is given over several days, so like four days in a row or something like that. Um, it only has one FDA approval, and that is for testicular cancer. Uh, that's its only FDA-labeled uh, indication for testicular cancer. So just because it's not FDA-approved doesn't mean it's not a very effective agent for lymphomas and sarcomas. Uh, but the dose for testicular cancer is either the, the VIP or the, v, uh, the, VE, uh, the VEIP regimen is 1,200 milligrams per meter squared daily for five days. 1,200 milligrams per meter squared per day times five days. Uh, as far as the toxicity of ifosfamide, it is moderately emetogenic. Um, you know... It, you know, the, the anthracycline plus cyclophosphamide is considered highly metagenic because of breast cancer studies. Um, it, it's not, it's, it's on par as far as a metagenicity with cyclophosphamide, so it's technically considered moderately a metagenic. 
Um, you know, the myelosuppression that we see is typical of, uh, of anti traditional antineoplastics with a nadir about 10 days later. Um, so the moderate imaginicity, the myelosuppression, pretty similar to cyclophosphamide. IFOS might be a little bit less um, myelosuppressive than cyclophosphamide. Uh, I don't know if iphosphamide has the same uh, immunosuppressive properties the, say, the same way cyclophosphamide does. Uh, it probably does not. Uh, we don't use iphosphamide, uh, for example, to treat lupus nephritis or anything like that. So I doubt that is. Uh, it does have those immunosuppressive properties that are, that are inherent to cyclophosphamide. And even if it did, the toxicity would probably be too great because we do see uh, much more CNS toxicity with iphosphamide. And that again is due to that 2-chloroacetaldehyde metabolite, metabolite. And this can be just frank encephalopathy and people can be obtunded, uh, but more often it's a little bit of somnolence, some confusion. Uh, it can be severe enough to be seizures and coma. Um, and risk factors for this CNS toxicity include a low albumin, and that is because this neurotoxic metabolite is highly bound to albumin. So if you have a hypoalbuminemia, you have a higher free fraction of this neurotoxic 2-chloroacetaldehyde metabolite, more neurotoxicity. Uh, decreased renal clearance, uh, so decreased creatinine, creatinine clearance or, or bad kidneys is also a risk factor, and maybe a prepotent. Uh, there are, of course, uh, some compelling case reports and some case series of aprepotent uh, and iphosphamide uh, leading to neurotoxicity, and then you stop the aprepotent, no neurotoxicity. Um, the best studies we have, and they're not great studies, I mean, they're not like randomized controlled clinical trials, but the best studies we have uh, suggest there really is not a huge risk of iphosphamide. I think there's one uh, case control study, a retrospective cohort study that looks at uh, neurotoxicity with IFOS with without neurotoxicity and the, more people had a prepotent in the IFOS arm but they also had a, a lower albumin in the neurotoxicity arm which is probably the, the more of the driving factor versus a prepotent uh, co-administration. My clinical uh, practice, my recommendation, uh, it's just my opinion, is not to uh, to add a prepotent up front with everybody because many people can be controlled with moderately emetogenic uh, CINV cocktails but if they do have you know, uh, if we do fail, so if they have an episode of emesis after one cycle of an iphosphamide containing regimen, then I don't hesitate to add a prepotent uh, with the next cycle. That's just my opinion. Um, so, you know, similar emetogenicity, similar myelosuppression, maybe a little bit less compared to cyclophosphamide, more neurotoxicity, um, and more hemorrhagic cystitis risk. Uh, now, as long as you do your mesna and your hydration correctly, and then people have uh, good kidneys, uh, you shouldn't see hemorrhagic cystitis at typical doses with ifosamide. They always get mesna. Uh, there are chemoprotectant guidelines from ASCO, the American Society of Clinical Oncology, and they recommend 20% of your ifosamide dose in mesna given at hour zero, so right before the ifos administration, four hours later, and eight hours later. So the way this would work is let's say you're giving 1,000 milligrams per meter squared of ifosamide, 20% of that would be 200. You give 200 milligrams per meter squared of mesna, uh, at hour zero, hour four, and hour eight. Uh, sometimes in, in clinical practice, uh, as we move everything from uh, inpatient to outpatient administration, uh, if you're like our clinic and you're not open for more than eight hours, uh, that at eight hour uh, mesna dose given IV uh, can't happen. Uh, but you can give mesna as an oral uh, formulation. You would have to double the dose. So in my scenario there, you would have to give Instead of 200 milligrams per meter squared IV mesna, you'd have to give 400 milligrams per meter squared PO mesna. Uh, the S in mesna stands for sulfur. It's sulfuric. It tastes like in the Midwest what we called egg water. Didn't 
so it's got a funky smell to it. It's not that palatable uh, for patients to take. And it's more expensive than you would think for, uh, for a chemoprotectant uh, that is pretty old. So those are the main unique toxicities to IFOS uh, would be the CNS toxicity and the hemorrhagic cystitis. There is also a, a boxed warning for renal failure. Uh, I don't know if that is just a, a relic of an error before we got really good at giving uh, vigorous hydration and mesna to prevent uh, hemorrhagic cystitis with ifosmide because I've never seen that, but it could be both acute and chronic if you read deeply into the literature. Um, oh, one other thing about the mesna administration in the ICE regimen, uh, you give a one-to-one -one solution or one-to-one -one concentration of mesna to ifosmide. So five grams of I five grams per meter squared of ifosmide, five grams per meter squared of mesna in the same bag. And some regimens even include to continue that ifos or the mesna for 12 hours after you finish the ifosamide infusion. Uh, so the chemoprotective guidelines are the 20 at hours, 20% at hour zero, 20% at hour four, 20% of your total ifos dose in mesna at hour eight, uh, but there are other regimens where they use a one-to-one -one, uh, ratio um, as far as milligrams per squared of IFOS to MESNA. Uh, as with cyclophosphamide, very, very high doses, like if you're using cyclophosphamide as part of a conditioning regimen, uh, you can see uh, cardiotoxicity and cardiomyopathy. That is also true for ifosamide. So that's ifosamide, uh, one of our landmark of oncology pharmacy agents. Uh, thank you for listening. You can follow me on uh, Twitter at FarmDeetNip. Follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at AquaFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, this is not